Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense, Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight we'll go back in time to season 10, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, and the battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron grace. Welcome to Gridiron Grace Football History and its memorabilia on the Gridiron Grace Publishing and Broadcasting Network. In conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150 plus years of football history and memorabilia. And you can find us on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Lark. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squires, Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Always a pleasure to be on, Captain. Always good to talk to you. And welcome to another show here of Gridiron Greats, the podcast. And we got a great show and a advertiser of Gridiron Greats magazine has an incredible piece in their current auction. I'm going to hand off to you, Joe, and fill our audience in on that item. I, I think my favorite part of the show is uh, talking, talking hobby with the captain, you know, in the minutes prior to, you know, prior to coming on air, it's, uh, it's, and he and I were talking before and I've admitted, I feel a little bit like an old man, you know, yelling, get off my, you know, get off my porch to people because there is a 2000, uh, you know, a two, uh, a 2000 Tom Brady, card that is in Leland's right now 
that uh, it is, they call it the Holy Grail. It's the playoff contender ticket. And uh, it's it's over $2 million right now, which makes me feel, you know, get off my lawn. Uh, But at the same time, it's the modern hobby coming. Uh, We brought this up on VFC. I brought it up on our vintage football cards uh, chat room yesterday. A couple of people chimed in and said, you know, well, it's uh, – you know, it's only limited to 100. Well, it's got me thinking, how many Nagurski cards are there? Uh, you know, I mean, in total. It's much rare. I, well, I don't know. I'm just, I'm kind of stunned that a modern 2000 card, even if it's only, even if there's only a couple hundred or a hundred of them, would be over $2 million right now. Well, here's the perspective, and I've, I've talked about this over the years, that if something is current, Yes, if, if there's only 100 cards of them available. But something like a Dagurski, maybe there's only 50 cards in existence still. Which is more rare? To a younger person who has never heard of Nagurski, the Brady is much more rare than obviously the Nagurski. To older collectors like you and I and others, the Nagurski is you know, the white whale that we're looking for. Yeah. as compared to a Brady from the year 2000, where both you and I and many others could have been buying those boxes of cards at the time, but because the market was so <laughs> inundated, inundated with so many different brands, uh, types of brands, uh, sub-brands, you name it, it became so overwhelming that a lot of people say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to buy this, I'm not going to buy that, I'm not going to buy, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I look, I look back basically from 1991 on. I bought tops up to 2015, and usually uh, one of our nieces would buy me for like Christmas, or Brenda would buy for my birthday a box of a newer item, which I had no clue what it was, and I would just open up the packs randomly, not realizing I should have just put the box away because I never know, you know, what yeah. next two million dollar card may come to the market that I opened and I'm I'm actually touching with my hands type of thing. So because of the saturation of the market beginning in 1989, which I consider to be the martyr yep. error, yep. the saturation of the past 32 years is so intense. Who bought all these cards? Where are they? How did they get split open? I mean, how did the packs get opened? Where are they? Who are they? So on and so forth. So this is... Uh, a, a perfect storm in a way because you got Brady, probably without yeah. a doubt the best quarterback who's ever lived. The man is ageless; he's proven it. <laughs> and 21 years ago, which is now vintage to some people who are in their 30s or whatever, are saying to themselves, "I got to have this card." Blah blah blah. I kind of feel that this card is either going to a group of collectors or investors who are buying it and putting it away or a deep-pocketed, obviously a very, very deep-pocketed collector who needs that card and wants that card bad. Those are, those are my – that's my opinion on it. But I'm, I'm floored by it. I'm just absolutely floored. You, it's incredible. You mentioned before the show it's at $1,787,980. Just quick math. Yeah, and what, what, that's about – 300 in VIG, 
So you're, you're uh, about 340 in VIG. So it, it's near $2.1 million for uh, the 2000 Playoff Contenders Championship rookie. And you look at his autograph on it, you can tell if there are 100 of these cards and he had to autograph all 100, you can tell this is about number 98 because his autograph gets, is getting a little sloppy there. Yep. I don't, I, I, I don't get it. For $2 million, you could buy. I mean, you're you're getting you're you're given uh, uh, you know you're 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 given the you know the caster line, uh, you know the Hunt caster line, you know Hall of Fame uh, right. will run for their money. At least you're solidly number two there. Uh, I mean, oh my gosh, that, and like I said before the show, I feel like a, a little bit of an old man where it's just like, what the hell's going on here? You know, it's it's, right. it's similar to you know get off my lawn. It's just I I don't get it. But then again. All of us, as I said before, all of us are grown men who collect pictures of men in, in tights on cardboard. I mean, none of us can wag a finger at, you know, I mean, the, the entire, you know, rest of the world looks at us and is like, what the hell are you doing collecting these cards? You know, so it's not for me to wag my finger now, I'm on, bumping down $2 million on this. I, well, I'm wondering now, too, if now the uh, other – for lack of a better term, quote-unquote, rookie cards of Brady are going to start to really uh, escalate in value. Those that are in more uh, have been printed in, in a greater volume since we really don't know print volumes of tops or whatever over the years, especially the last uh, 15 years they were printing. You know, did they, you know, are there a 1,000 of them? There's, you know, 5,000 of them, there's 10,000, so on and so forth. I wonder if that's uh, going to push the, 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 all, yeah. the entire market for Brady cards through the roof now, you know? His other, he has two other very, very popular football cards, the 2000 SP Authentic, which was yep. Uh, yep. printed to 1100 yep. Um And I used to have one of those in a PSA 10. Right. And the other day I called right. my wife, Stacy, and I'm like, check this out. I used to have this card. Uh, check it out. It's selling for $200,000 right now. I sold mine for 13000 about uh, six years ago, thinking, you know, I bought it for three and sold it for thirteen. I'm like, all right, that's pretty yep. cool. I'm yep. like, it, it's it's two hundred to two hundred twenty-five thousand right now, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, it, nobody could have anticipated this. I mean, I'm, I, yeah. and yeah, and the other Brady is the two thousand Bowman Chrome, uh, which is you know the number you know the third most popular, and just a a box of two thousand unopened wax of. Bowman Chrome goes for you know fifteen twenty thousand. Uh, I think his rookie card goes for twenty five to thirty. Uh, love of the game. Chris Foley has a uh, PSA ten two thousand Bowman Chrome uh, Brady rookie card in his auction right now. So I guess we'll find out what the what the current market is on that pretty quick. Right. But, right. It and it's it's interesting but, to me because I go back, you know. Through the 90s, the zero zeros, the 10s, I'd be in like a Walmart or a Target, and I would see the display for cards. And inevitably, I would pick. I would normally pick up the tops, whatever it was. And then if there was something else that just looked interesting to me, I'd buy a pack of that just to open it to see what the uh, what the packs were. But again, a lot of those cards, uh, a lot of those sets were so hobby only, so you have to go to a card shop. Yeah, yeah and pick them up there. And, and here, unfortunately, here in where I am now, uh, we're down to basically uh, two shops in a roughly 55-mile radius of me. Uh, one 
uh, in the town right next to me who's still going strong. And then there's another shop that opened up in uh, Newington, Connecticut. And realistically, that's it. There's a few others scattered throughout the state. <clears throat> but for somebody wanting to buy it, where are you buying it? So now they're buying it online, they're yep. buying it through eBay, so on and so forth. And again, that's impacting the market to a certain degree, I feel. Um, but again, the frenzy of people buying these cards, these newer, back, newer boxes, and or putting them away, so on and so forth, could drive the market 20 years from now at the same time. So there could be a 20, yeah. 20 football card uh, encapsulated, uh, a Beckett grade 9 or 9.5, whatever, that could be the next $2 million card of who we don't know. Or another Brady, or you know yeah. Brady again, or whatever. So it's amazing to see. It really is. It really is. Well, it's, you uh, also have the problem. Of you, you and I both you, you know, go for about. No, I was, I was going to say it's, you're literally seeing the history of the new card market uh, roll, roll, or open up in front of our eyes right now. It's amazing. Back yep. to you. Well, you also have uh, you and I. You know, when I think about buying wax, I think about walking into the 7-Eleven near my grandmother's house, plunking that dollar. The display was right there on the counter. Now you have people who follow, you know, follow the tops. You know, when they go to stock the store, they follow the tops car around. And there's two of them. Uh, And I've read this. I've seen people posting pictures of So two people and two cars follow them around. And the person walks in. You know, uh, stocks the stocks the you know the shelves with the new wax, and then a, a guy grabs it all, puts it in a cart, and buys it all. Um, uh-huh. it, it wipes it out, so he's standing there as they're stocking. Uh, and then there's another person outside who follows the guy to the next target or next place. You know, while that guy's in there checking out, you know, a person B follows him to the next place text uh, person A where that, you know, where the next place is, and then they go sit and wait outside. So they follow this person around all day long, wiping it out. And that's a business. So, you know, the next generation of people who are collectors aren't walking serendipitously down the aisle in Target and go, oh, my gosh, wax boxes. Because if I was in Target and I saw them, I might buy a box. But if they're being wiped out by people who are hoarding them, by people who are just wiping them out and taking them and putting them in, you know, putting them in their garage and hoping in the next five years, because right now it's gambling. Because if you bought Patrick Mahomes, you know, the 10 different, 20 different, you know, manufacturers who are putting out Patrick Mahomes rookie cards and you bought boxes and put them on a shelf and you're hoping one of those 20 hits, 20 bucks for it, and you can sell for 20000 in two years, every year you're just hoping, hoping the next rookie you know, um, turns into this. It, it's no longer exactly. collecting, it's gambling. It's and yeah, but yeah, you're not. And again, you're not you getting know, any kids we, walking down the aisles buying it. It's gone. We we see this also at the national with these all these different pack breaks where you got to buy the spot for the pack break yeah. or you buy your team or whatever. And I'm saying to myself, oh, this, this this really doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense to me. But again, you know, this is not my this is not my uh, enjoyment out of the hobby is, you know, spending a hundred dollars for a spot from some guy who bought a box from Target or whatever when he's breaking them open, and you know he's making five six thousand dollars or whatever ridiculous figure he's making on on the box just by opening it, you know, and he's making a big production out of it. 
and again, for some people, they live for these box breaks. Totally. They enjoy it. But I, I agree with you. Where's the incentive for new collectors to come in the market if they go into a Target and they yeah. never see another wax box again? You know, and I and again, I go, I go to a couple of WalMarts here locally. Not one of them has cards anymore. They they do not have cards anymore. I I rarely see cards in a store anymore. And uh, it, it's it's uh, kind of kind of crazy to me, you know. And even yeah. the dollar stores well, Bob, would have um, yeah. would have yep. uh, packs for for obviously a dollar. And even I don't see packs in there anymore. So I don't know what's going on with that now. So wow. it's crazy. Well, Truly crazy. I don't know if you remember, but about uh, five, six months ago, just for the heck of it, I bought a box of 2000 SP Authentic. Right. In an auction. And I remember posting it on VFC, and you're like, what are you doing? That's kind of a modern buy for you. And I'm like, I don't know. I just kind of kind of like it. Who knows? One of these days I might open it at a, at a national. Uh you, you know what I paid for that. And right, right. A couple of those have recently sold. And just in the last four or five months, the price explosion of just that one box is, it, it, it has me shaking my head. Yep. So needless, yep. needless to say, I might not be doing a wax break at the, at the uh, Chicago National this year. <laughs> I, I definitely uh, would uh, hold on to that. I, I don't think it's a wise thing yeah. to open that. I really don't. I think it, it's worth much more open than it is open, even if you do pull a Brady out of it or whatever, and it grades PSA 10 or whatever incredible grade on it type of thing. It's just, you know, it, to me, it, it takes the fun out of opening up packs, in my opinion. And the other, the other thing, I don't know if we talked about it in the last show, but we talked about it privately. 1988 Tops wax boxes are going for over $100 a box now. I, I am just so floored. I can't believe what, I, what I'm seeing. What in earth, besides the Bo Jackson rookie card, could drive that box, which was a return at one time, where you could have bought them for 5 and $10 each on clearance, is yeah. now a $100-plus yeah. box. Yeah. Unbelievable. I, I'm just I, I, I I'm shocked by it. Yeah, we talked about that on the show, and I, I I brought up the story of me meeting a guy in Centralia, and I bought a couple hundred boxes of 88 wax. It filled my yep. Ford Bronco to the point where it was weighted down, and I, I'm laughing, wishing I would have taken a picture of just boxes stacked on top of, top of boxes. Uh, somewhere I have a picture of my basement where I had a bunch of them, where I, put a, I have a bunch of them stacked, but... That was after I opened a bunch. I mean, I was just opening them and you know checking them out. It was it was junk wax at the time. It was you know five dollars a box. So I'm just opening it for the sake of opening it. So, but hundred bucks. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Uh, that that's uh, just just so crazy. It's not even funny. I mean, it's just uh, I, I I just I can't comprehend it. I really can't comprehend it. Just for the least. And it's and it's and it's now we're now seeing the five dollar junk boxes are now fifteen dollar junk boxes. Um, yeah. We're we're not seeing we're not seeing the uh, you know even Prozac now is driving a higher price for whatever reason. I think and there's yeah, millions the only, millions of them yep. out there. I mean there is no shortage of eighty nine. Eighty nine. There's no shortage of eighty nine ninety. No shortage whatsoever of pro football. What in the earth 
could drive the price of ProSet besides the, the quote-unquote Belichick rookie that's driving the, uh, what's it, 90, 1990 Series 2 ProSet box. And again, there's yeah. got to be at least a million of those rookie cards out there. So how are they valued? I don't know. It makes no sense. Really the, the Belichick rookie. I forgot about that one. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it's, oh, well, it's, well. it's crazy. Crazy. Truly crazy. We'll see. Maybe we should get somebody from Leland's back on the show to talk about uh, talk about this post-hammer. But 2,000 tops contender Tom Brady playoff. Pretty interesting card. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's amazing. But we're, we're waiting for our guest to, to call in, so we've got a few more minutes here. And... Um, Again, we're talking about the explosion of card prices, yep. which uh, well, just don't make don't make any sense to me yep. whatsoever. So yep. and in our, don't make in any our, sense. In our last uh, in our last show, we talked about heritage. Heritage ended over yep. the weekend, so we had another snapshot of. Uh, they had quite a few. They had probably forty or fifty wax packs that had been PSA graded and GAI, um, but. Your 65 Philly ended up hammering uh, at around that $1,200 mark in a PSA 8 holder that we talked about. So, uh, so about $1,100, $1,200 for that old nickel pack of 65 Philly that Bob, a young Bob Swick used to tear into. And, um, and there, it's just it's incredible. There's, uh, I don't know if you noticed on eBay, a 1958 Pops. Wax box, BBC E graded, uh, is on eBay right now for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So a mm-hmm. wax box mm-hmm. with twenty-four nickel packs, twelve cards per pack. So you have the chance at a Jim Brown rookie card in there for the low, low price of a quarter million dollars. Uh, there's. I, I know I've talked about other shows, but at some point we just need to grab. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's crazy. Or a, it's crazy. Where would your money be? But it's crazy. And it's what's and again, Go ahead. We're we're we're, we're looking at a market that that has been Box. just totally changed over over the past. Yep. 20 years with the, the wrapping of the wax, the certification of the wax, the grading of the wax, so on and so forth. It, it's just, it's mind-boggling to me to see what's going on. It really, it's, it's amazing. Truly amazing. But uh, it's uh, it's a much different market. Tension years showed up in any option. Not to much mention different. an entire wax box of it, which is just how many of those are out there? I mean, and, and if you plunk a quarter million dollars on that right now and everybody goes, oh, my God, that's incredible. 20 years from now, it's even rarer. I mean, is it, is yep. it happened? I, I, who knows? Who knows? But it, it's even rarer. It's just it's incredible. They're not making any more of this. Well, somebody in Pennsylvania is trying to reseal some of it, but it's, you know, you, you, you can't even get wax wrappers for it. Probably so. Even he's gonna right, have a hard time right. remaking it. But I don't know. Just wax boxes, just from that era, just getting rarer. It's just, it's incredible. 
Fun to, fun to think about, Funny. isn't it? Just, uh, just, you know, the, um, this, this the evolution of the evolution of wax to me, uh, and I'll go back to the uh, a late mid to late 1980s perspective. A lot of collectors decided to branch out more with their collections because they had completed their run and so on and so forth. And I'm talking like 1984, 1985. So what they were doing is picking up a wax pack, picking up a wrapper, and trying to find a display box and add it to their collection. And I was one of those people who, you know, had had, had wrappers, had a hand, I was saving wax boxes at the time because I wanted the box bottom cards on the tops of yeah. boxes. And long story short, you know, there were people like me that were trying to put a, a, a wrapper, the wax box, uh, empty wax box, and the actual pack together and to collect it in that manner. So long story short, as the years went on and I started running out of room, first with the display box, I started <laughs> selling off my display boxes. I had a lot from the from probably um, mid-late 70s up to the current ones. And then my wrapper collection, which I eventually sold. And, and I, I never went crazy with the unopened wax packs because they started getting expensive. And I said, okay, I just want the wrapper and, and the uh, the uh, box, empty box. And, and that will be a nice box. addition to the collection. You know what I mean? So, But I sold off all those collections. And the wax packs I basically either opened or ended up selling them off over the years. Because um, uh, to me at that time, some of the stuff I had, the prices were just incredible. You know what I mean? Which I I felt were incredible. And again, if I if I held them even longer, they would have been worth even more money. You know what I mean? So yeah, who knows? Ditto. It's crazy. And I was working on it's a crazy. I was working on a run of uh, unopened display boxes too, and I uh, I had somebody recommend the best way to do them. You know, which was to buy them to cut out a piece of foam. You know, to the you know size of the you know to the interior to put it in there and then to shrink shrink wrap them. Uh, so I was doing that on a few, and I, I really liked how they displayed. It was really cool. You know, and, and putting the, the, the foam inside of them made them a little more robust. So, uh, but again, like you mentioned, started running out of room. Started uh, then I, I as I have a propensity to do, I got a little bored, sold them probably about four or five years ago, and uh, so I mean. Sold my wax, you know, eight nine years ago after a couple shows. I had a unopened uh, series two sixty one clear, like the box in my collection, unopened. It. Just uh, you know, all the packs inside of it, everything. I remember buying it, then three years later selling it. It's just, I don't know. It's it, 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 as we mentioned, they're they're not making any more of it, so it, it, this stuff's only going to appreciate. Who knows? Maybe. Correct. Know that truly crazy. Uh, but who knows? I, you know, I still collect quite a bit of uh, uncut sheets. Those are difficult to store, but I, I created a display. You know, a, a way to display them. I started hanging in my office, um, and then down in my down in my basement, I have a, a uh, you know a closet that's kind of surrounded by concrete. I built a shelf mm-hmm. in there. I put a piece of, of melanine MDF, MDF down, uh, built the shelf, and it's four by eight. So uh, I put the sheets on that, and then I have a, you know, another, you know, a uh, basically a giant top loader that I put on top of it. And I have another 
MDF board that's the exact size of an uncut sheet that I lay on top of it, you know, to help keep them, because most of them have been furled up and put in a tube, so they come with that memory. So laying them flat and then putting this, you know, plywood, this MDF, you know, faced plywood on top of it, you know, so it's clean, really helps lay them flat. But, I mean, I, I've, I've dedicated that room. I've built that shelf. Uh, I'm committed. I have, you know, probably 250 uncut sheets that I have a place to store, and I'm, I'm happy with it. It's conditioned. I have a light in there. It's fun. Um, yeah. And who knows? Maybe one of these days, uncut sheets will be the, the next wax pack. You know, boom. Right. Right. Uh, uh, our guest is here, and I'd like to introduce him and get started with his uh, part of oh, our nice. show. Our, our special guest tonight is the editor of the Pro Football Journal. He's also the awards chairman of the Pro Football Researchers Association. He is a football researcher and author, and I'd like to welcome tonight to the show, Mr. John Turney. John, welcome to the show. Yeah, my my apologies. Um, my no the information. Yeah, yeah. It's only three eighteen here, so I was I was waiting to call in in an hour, but you know oh, things get okay. crossed once in a while. So anyway, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Nice. Thanks for being uh, on, John. And I, yeah. I want to lead off by asking you, uh, tell our audience about your background and why you started the Pro-Football Journal. Well, it, it, it started maybe 30 years ago uh, when I started doing research about quarterback sacks. I knew that you could find them if you looked for them, and you couldn't get them in, in normal media guides and things like that. So... Everything kind of snowballed from there. I got a little bit of publicity in the early 90s, and it grew from there. And then in the 2000s, maybe eight, nine, ten years ago, I started Pro Football Journal because I just wanted to kind of download all the interesting things that I thought were cool in one place where people could find them. It's not mainstream stuff. It's like blocked kicks. It's sports fumbles. It's, it's, you know, odd trades all the kind of things that we call esoteric parts of the game, and uh, it's certainly not what younger fans like, but we've found a little niche audience, we think. That was obviously before the days of Twitter, John. Uh, this is Joe, by the way. Um, that was obviously before the days of Twitter, so I mean, was that a, a, a blog that started, your blog post started first, or which came first? Well, uh, I was a member of the Pro Football Researchers Association, and I'd done some writing for Pro Football um, Weekly and College and Pro Football News Weekly. Both are out of business, as you know, many print magazines are. And then the blog started first, and then I went to Twitter. Sure. Nice. Why not? Chad, I'm also I'm also a member of the Pro. Pro Football Researchers Association. I've been a member, I think, I was trying to figure out before, about 31 years, I think. And uh, I go back to the days of Bob Carroll, who I'm sure you know. And, uh, oh, yeah. It's a great, organiza- great organization, very interesting articles in their uh, newsletter that they come out with uh, six times a year. So uh, we're, we have that in common also. Okay, back to Joe. Yeah, I just... I started following you on Twitter about a year ago, and just your your posts just they're they're great. I mean, uh, you've uh, you, you take a really good fun approach to the 
you know, to what you have throwback photos, you posted up cards, uh, you know, even episodes of Cheers where pro players walk in. Uh, how, how do you find your How do you find your stuff? You have twelve thousand Twitter followers. How do you find the material you post? Like an example, you know, a, a week ago you put up one of Bo Jackson and Brian Bosworth, uh, which is a you know a pretty nice you know reach if you get it. It's just you know, and in there, Bo Jackson's like, I guess I'm going to go home and watch a video of me running over you for the next 50 years, uh, which just made me laugh. It's, you know, yeah. How do you come up with your material? Well, I think that just comes from having a very good memory. Being an avid sports fan for all these years, <laughs> all those things were kind of caught in my mind. And then with, yeah. with this miracle called the Internet, people post clips here and there. And part of what my blog has is it's got four subsections. One of them is on NFL art, and you guys know that back in the day, Merv Corning and, and uh, Chuck Wren would have these great paintings in the middle of uh, NFL programs. And, yeah. and also there was, yeah, you remember, just all that stuff, and there's just no place to go and kind of go through and thumb through it unless you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy all the, the memorabilia, and nobody can afford all of that. So we put samples up of that. Then I've got a section called NFL in Hollywood, and it's clips and photos of all these players who've made the transition to being an actor. But sometimes they only did one or two episodes, and people can't find those. So if I'm watching an episode online, I'll, I'll download the clip and post it uh, under fair use and, and do it as kind of commentary, which you're allowed to do. So people can see somebody like a Dick Bass who was in Sanford and Son or the things that Bubba Smith did, or some of them are just quite hilarious. Lamar Lundy was was a kind of a, a, a one-eyed cyclops, and I can't even remember. It was one of the sci-fi TV series of the 1960s. So people can look through all that. And NFL ads, for example, is another section where these, these guys would do ads in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and... <laughs> They're just hilarious. Some, you know, they would sell Norelco shaving stuff, or you know, all, you've seen all that stuff. So I just tried to make it a one-shop stopping for guys that remember stuff like that, like I do. Yeah, that I was watching that that Seahawks, you know, Raiders Monday Night Football game when Bo Jackson tore it up. I mean, and I was probably 12 or, no, excuse me, I was probably about 16, 17 at the time, and I just remember watching that, and I went, holy crap, that guy's good. You know, just, wow. I mean, we all we all knew who Bo Jackson was at the time, but we just didn't know the breadth of his talent. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's just a lot of guys that are in that age range. You know, we're not really baby boomers, although there's probably some that are but it's kind of that in-between generation, that Generation X. And I think that's kind of who, who I appeal to because we're kind of cynical. We're neither right nor left. We're near just kind of like, hey, just leave us alone. These are things we like. So yeah, that's who I think the target audience is. You're spot on. Awesome. That's exactly what I've noticed. That, that, that's, what it, that's what originally attracted me to follow your Twitter account just because, it was just funny. It was right in that niche. You're, you're exactly right. And the, and the whole, yeah, and I did. Uh, for me, the whole, oh, go ahead, please. The, the whole area of football advertising is a nice collectible 
and I know several people who specialize in football advertising. You know, they, they collect pieces out of magazines, so on and so forth, uh, mailers or whatever. And it's a nice it's a nice addition to any collection, and it's sometimes, you know, very overlooked at the same time. Um, that you can actually, you know, find a lot of pieces very reasonable of Hall of Fame stars who advertise in certain different um, advertise, like you said, you know, for Norelco, uh clothers, uh, yeah. things of that nature. So that's that's pretty neat. That's very interesting. Yeah, and I find it also kind of funny. I've gotten in trouble. I think you you know. Sometimes because I'll put, for some reason, uh, Madison Avenue liked to put a lot of defensive linemen in their underwear. And so there's a lot of guys that did underwear ads. And I'll make a little joke about it now and again, saying, you know, is this Kenzie 4 or Kenzie 6, you know, and uh, that'll get you in trouble a little bit. But it's it's not meant to hurt anybody. It's just kind of, you know, hey, it's like in Seinfeld. It's Nothing wrong with that. That's fine, but it's just kind of funny to see yeah. guys like Mark Gastineau and Howie Long and Jack Youngblood and Fred Dreyer in their underwear. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Exactly. That's hey, funny. hey, if I were if I were famous, there's some pretty funny photos of me, you know, when I was young. So no, nobody cares about me. So. Well, I had That's one that good. I thought was my favorite. It's Howie Long laying sideways in some shorts you know, bare-chested and uh, laying out kind of like Kate Winslet did in Titanic, and the caption was, Jack, paint me like one of your French girls. Oh. I don't know if Chris Long's, I don't know, I think he, Chris Long even saw that one and thought it was funny. <laughs> well, it is funny. It's self-deprecating humor is the best kind of humor. If you can't laugh at yourself, then get over it, I guess. It's just, you know, how you laid down for the ad, you thought it was a good idea at the time. Uh, you know, hey, let's poke fun at you a little bit. So. Exactly. It's amazing. Hey, uh, Chad, talk a little bit about your Pro Football Journal, which is your longstanding blog. And it seems to be very, uh, obviously, much more football metric related. You can find it at nflfootballjournal.blogspot.com. Expand that out for our audience. Well, yeah, I think, you know, hardcore fans will find it interesting. I don't know that casual, current fans will love it because it focuses on the past more than the future or the current. Uh, we've got great writers like Chris Willis from NFL Films, and he covers uh, the beginning of the football era all the way through the, you know, probably the 1940s or 50s. He's written books on... He's working on Bronco Nagurski, but I believe he's done yeah. the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. definitive work on Red Rage and also Dutch Clark. And if you want to see his opinion on who the top 50 ends are or tackles pre-World War II, you can read it. And he's got a list of 50 guys, many of them I had never even heard of. We also have T.J. Troop, who's written a couple of books on the 50s, and the guy studies more film than anyone in, in Nick Webster and I also study a lot of film as well. And I like to find little things that are just what I find interesting. I found a clip recently of, uh, of, a, of a play where John Brody handed it to Bill Kilmer. Bill Kilmer passes it to Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson is a Hall of Fame defensive back, but he was playing flanker early in his career. And the guy who made the tackle was Night Train Lane. But also in the film was uh, Dick LeBeau and Alex Karras. So you had all these Hall of Famers in wow. the play, and some of them playing um, 
different positions than, than they were normally playing. And, and I have a hashtag on Twitter where you can find that. Just go hashtag HOF versus HOF, Hall of Famer versus Hall of Famer. So you'll find these guys going against each other. Uh, another interesting thing, I found still shots of it, and I knew this had happened, but there were four defensive ends who were in the Hall of Fame who began their career or played significant time at offensive line. So I've got an actual picture or clips of Deacon Jones in his first game yep. playing left tackle. Uh, Elvin Bethay, same thing. Gino Marchetti in his second year playing left tackle. And then Willie Davis in his second year playing left and right tackle. How many people know that? Yeah. So we're just trying to share I, those things with people. Yeah, I saw that post of yours. I thought that was fascinating. I didn't know that. That it was just that you had so many examples of it, and, uh, the stills. I had no idea. It was fascinating. Yeah, it's it's something that we've just lost a lot of the great writers that used to tell us stuff like that. And it's kind of fun to make fun of the media. Oh, these guys don't know anything when they maybe don't put a guy we like in the Hall of Fame. Or somebody made All-Pro that didn't deserve it. And we say, oh, the media doesn't know what they're doing. But we have to remember, the media taught us everything we know. The Paul Zimmermans and the Tex Malls and the... You know, going way back to, to Dan Jenkins and all these guys wrote and they have all these books and that's where I learned everything yep. and, and I don't really collect memorabilia. I've got a few things, a few pieces here and there, but what I do collect is books and I've got tons and tons of all those paperbacks, unique paperbacks you can imagine. I probably have it. I will have a lot of hardbacks and, and uh, media guides, things like that, magazines, game programs. That's where I put my money because I thought I can enjoy what's in them but also learn from what's in them. So that's kind of what my blog is. It's kind of like taking everything and putting it into one thing, and that's why I called it a journal because basically it's just a journal. It's whatever comes to our mind. We just put it down. Like when you would get a game program of the 1975 title game, you would get articles, and you would get artwork, and you would get photos, mm-hmm. and you would get ads. So essentially, that's what we're patterned after is a game program. That's a great point. Because that's pretty cool. The, uh, I, think, I think it's very overlooked in the hobby. I take everything from a hobby perspective, that programs, books, uh, paperbacks, magazines, Street and Smiths, all those publications provide so much information that seems to me is like really overlooked in the hobby to a large degree. So that was very, that's, I'm really glad you said that because there's few people that just specialize in publications and even fewer that are just looking for the publications for the information in it. So that's great. And I can, I can see it in the journal. I can definitely see it in your blog too. And that's, that's great to see. And you are preserving the history of the game. Also by by doing that. So that's good. Yeah. It's, Exactly, yeah, and that's that's what the gist of it is, is it's just kind of trying to hold on to the past a little bit longer as the game turns more into a fantasy football game and the uniforms get more and more ridiculous and the fans get younger and younger and they care more about, you know, who they're going to start in week 13 if their quarterback goes down, which, you know, I don't even care about. I do, I do remember, and, and that's how I just kind of got obsessed with the books. I remember when the Belichick's, Bill Belichick and his dad donated their 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 book collection to, I believe it was the Annapolis Library. Um, right. 
right. and they had like they said it was the third largest collection, private collection in the country, and it had like a thousand wow. volumes. And I thought these guys are pikers. I've got I've got a thousand media guides. I mean, I've got more books than they do, and they were you know getting so. I feel like I've done a pretty good job because I started early on, and you could get a uh, one of those those pocketbooks and the Xander Hollanders guys. You could get them for a buck, buck yep. fifty in the nineties. Some of them I've had since I was a kid. So you build that up, and you know now they're ten, twenty, thirty dollars a piece. But I got in it when they were young, when I was younger and had some money and. Goodness, it's just been great. I've just got bookshelves and bookshelves, and that's my collection. That's my memorabilia, if you will. Nice. That's great. I'm gonna have to look that's up really the word great. piker, but I, but I, uh, I'm gonna have to look up the word piker, but I get the feeling it's a compliment. <laughs> well, piker means uh, it, they're not as <laughs> they're not as prolific. It's uh, you know, you, it's somebody who doesn't have as what I have. They're not as good. So it was a kind of an insult. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was kidding. <laughs> Oh, I've got you. My West Coast sense of humor is lost in translation. Uh, and that, that's my next question. Like, like I said before, what what really started me, uh, started cracking me up is, you know, I've got a, a weird sense of humor. And your your posts, you know, were kind of cracking me up. Uh, the, you know, the interesting ones, the, the very, you know, the very, you know, sports-centric ones I love because, Obviously, I love football, but then also the the sarcastic, you know, the the, the you know the the fun ones that poke that poke fun at people. I mean, they they were all good, and uh, I, and I I had to be curious as a guy with a weird sense of humor whose sense of humor has gotten me in trouble a few times. Uh, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, where you know some you know some people weren't happy with some posts. Have you ever posted anything that kind of got you in trouble that somebody got pissed off about? Uh, yeah. I, no, that, not really, really bad. I mean, I've never gotten in trouble for, uh, you know, in, in terms of getting any kind of strikes or anything like that. There's been a few people that would object, like if I would make fun of a player, you know, and they would say, oh, you're better than that. Uh, there was a couple of times when, you know, like a couple of OJ jokes, they would they would object because... <laughs> Uh, it was, you know, it was maybe a little off color. Uh, one time I found um, there was an ad in a in a wish book, those Christmas wish books, and there was three guys wearing stuff they were selling. You know, you remember those shirts we would all buy oh, yeah. or the jackets that they would find in the, in yep. the Christmas catalogs. And there were three kids, yep. and they're, they're actually pretty tough looking. One was like about 14, the other looked about 17, and the other looked like he was in college. So they just looked a little odd to be wearing that kind of colorful stuff. And so I said something like, you know, the little kid is the one who beat the crap out of you. The other one is the one who defended his little brother. And also, and I said something off color to your sister in the backseat of the car. And then the older guy is the one that sells weed to all the kids in the neighborhood. So I caught some grief for that one. <laughs> you, uh... A couple of days ago, you you put one up about, uh, and it was you know Burt Reynolds with you know with with a, a Deliverance reference, and I just started laughing, and I'm like, okay, that's uh, you you have to have watched the movie and you have to have a sense of humor to get that one, but it just, it kind of made me laugh and 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 or you know cringe at the same time. It was pretty good, but you you, you have an odd sense of humor. I've had yeah people that uh, one I you know, to be honest with you I can't. 
Yeah, I can't take credit. I think I think you're talking about Super Seventy Sports on that one. Oh, you're. you're I beg your pardon. You're right. Yeah. Uh, Although yeah, he's sorry, he's the master. He. No, that's okay though. But he's the king. So um, there's time, you know. And he and I are friends. And when he got somebody stole his password, he was off for a week. And I was. Oh wow. Hassling Twitter, you know, saying, "Hey, free him!" You know, he, he's great. And uh, he's even more over the top than I than I am. Trust yeah. me. Although okay. I have sent him things that I thought of that I won't say, and a couple of them he wouldn't say. So, so he and I have the same sense of humor. He just doesn't care. I, you know, he's got three or four hundred thousand followers. You know, so he's he's not gonna if he says something, he gets in trouble all the time. And you know what he says to them is he just you know raises his middle finger uh, verbally. So he doesn't care. Yeah. But to be honest with you, I think he's hilarious, and I'm not even close to as good as he is. So, but thank uh, you for thinking I'm almost, you know, thank you for putting me in the same <laughs> sentence because that's a compliment. <laughs> nice. Right on. That's funny. Well, good. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you haven't gotten in too much trouble. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. But it's, it is fun, and, and sometimes, you know, and the biggest compliment I ever had was I put up something about uh, Bill Cosby and O.J. about three years ago, and then about a month ago he put up one that was almost the same. So I said, you know what, I've arrived. I'm almost as good as he is. You know, flat, you know, some of this stuff's writing itself. Just you know, you, you just think Bill Cosby and OJ, and I just and immediately, like I was just start a joke off. So Bill Cosby and OJ walk into a bar. I mean, and that's it. You don't even need a punchline to that. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Or I had one picture of, of OJ and John Brody during their playing days, and John Brody obviously was covering the game as a broadcaster, and he was he was holding his hands about I don't know eight inches apart. You know, kind of like as you would, you know, they think about eight inches apart with his palms together. And the caption I put was, I don't know, O.J., you'd probably need a knife about this big, but why in the world would you ask such a sick question? Oh, and that man. got a big response. Yeah, I imagine. Uh, I love it. John, um, well, there's a lot. We, we, well, with Sean Watson, I mean, if this stuff proves to be true, he's gonna he's gonna get a lot of comments from me because I'm extremely, um, you know, sensitive to that particular issue. And if he's this kind of predator, which he may be, he's gonna get the same treatment. So, yeah, it's only fair. It's it's almost like uh, news commentary in a different way when you when you take down people like that. And I want to give him the benefit yep. of the doubt. We'll see what happens. But uh, if 16, 17 people are lying, I think that would be the first time in history 16 yep. or 17 people would lie about the 17. So I, I generally believe the women. Mm. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, I hear you. And that's going to ruin his John, career. That's just too bad, you know. John, we talked a little bit about your um, the blog uh, that you have with NFL fun stuff. So I'm going to have Joe move into his question uh, after that, because we were talking about cards. Uh, you collect basically media guides, publications, books. So Joe, handing off to you on uh, your question there. Yeah, you, uh, you know, you just named, you name dropped Chris Willis, uh, who's been on the show a few times. 
who you know we you know Bob and I have both read his book, promote his books. We you know he came on to talk about his Nagurski book that he's writing, and uh, to review his Red Grange. I'm a huge Red Grange fan. Trying to talk him into writing a book on Steve Largent next. Uh, he he said he'd look into it. I, I get the feeling he's <laughs> shining me on. Uh, but uh, you know, but you know, Ebbets Field. Uh, you know, the, he's been on the show. I have a Jim Thorpe uh, Canton Bulldog, you know, sweater that I bought from him. I mean, the hobby becomes pretty small, and it seems like we're in the same sandbox. How, how do you obviously you met Chris from the you know professional writers, but that, like, how do you know you know you, you know Ebbets Field, et cetera? Well. Um... Yeah, Evans Field, that stuff is just awesome. You know, I just oh, I, I just love incredible. part of what football is is just I guess what we try to do and what game programs do is, is football is a huge part of our culture. And I think what I'm trying to do subconsciously is try to make the connection to how big football is into our culture. And that football is a total experience. It's not just one thing. It's not just the outcome of the score. It's not just the statistics, but it's also the pageantry of the game, the uniform, but also the humor that happens on the field, and, and also the, the awesome physical prowess, as you, as you guys were talking about, with a Bo Jackson. And all these things together make it kind of an experience that doesn't become boring because it has so many facets. Now, maybe not everybody looks at it that way, but collecting stuff is part of that. I mean, one of the few things I do have is I've worked on a few guys, tried to help them maybe get in the Hall of Fame, maybe, you know, some didn't, but I became, you know, I never would charge them for it, but I would say, hey, send me a jersey. So I've got a few jerseys from guys like that. But another thing, yeah. uh, it wasn't Epic Field Collectibles, but I got some old jerseys from the 1920s. They were replicas, of course. And I just thought those were cool to wear around. I, when I was coaching football, semi-pro, I would wear them, and my players would look at them and, it might have been like the Los Angeles Buccaneers or the Frankfurt uh, the, uh, Yellow Jackets. And they would look at those things and they would just say, oh, that's still pretty cool. And Because they weren't exact replicas. They didn't maybe do as good a job as Abbott's Field does, but they were still good enough. And dang, they were expensive. Yeah. But they were that, um, you know, tackle quill material with all this stuff. And so I love those yep. kinds of things. It's part of the the pageantry of the game that makes it interesting, which is why I get upset when so many of these teams let Nike design their uniforms and then Nike screws them up. Then five years later, they'll go back to the originals, like the Browns and the Bucks and all these teams that trusted Nike, and then Nike ended up screwing the pooch. Yeah. No, like I mentioned, I bought the, the Canton Bulldog one, and I love it. The, the fabric feels cool. It just it looks good. I mean, and just people – you know, people, I just, I dig it. It's just, it's, it's such a throwback and they do such a good job just replicating it. It's great. I was trying to get them to make a red Grange one with the, you know, with the friction tape and everything from like Illinois, you know, on it, but he, he said it was a little too complicated. Yeah, I, w- I would imagine so, but you might be able to figure out a way to do it yourself, you know, I don't know, but that would be, my fantasy would be, although I like base, wearing baseball jerseys more, although I don't do it that much anymore, but if I were Steve Jobs or one of these Internet billionaires, I would wear that kind of thing every day to work, you know? I wouldn't wear the suit and the tie. I would wear a baseball jersey with, uh, you know, with a T-shirt underneath and jeans and, and sneakers. Yeah. That would be my idea of heaven. That should be 
you know, that should, they should have casual Friday like that every day. But, of course, not everybody's into it. And, you know, those, those of us who might do it might be looked at as, you know, weird and dorks. But, you know, maybe we are. Oh, we are. Very interesting. We we all are. Yes, <laughs> we all are. Bob and I were talking John, before we're... the show. show and it's just, you, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bob. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just saying we're all, you know, we collect football cards. You know, we're all nerd, we're all grown men who collect pictures of men and tights on cardboard. So I mean, none of us can really wag a finger at another, you know, what another person wears or collects. So yeah, yeah, that's that, that's true, and and that's you know probably Kinsey three or four right there. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say we yeah, it's, it's it, you you know you you become an adult though when you can confess your inner nerdship, and so we've all done that. We are nerds. So we, we, we're actually adults, but just like childish things. Yep. Yeah, you're, you're doing a great job of it, putting everything that, you know, was part of our childhood out on the Internet for all of us to laugh at and enjoy. So, yeah. All right, we're almost yeah, out of well, time, I hope... John. Okay. Any Oops. final thoughts? Any final thoughts and or any beginning, uh, any advice for any uh, a beginning collector, if you have any? Well, my, my only advice would be collect what you love. I, the market is, you know, we'll, you know, you can make money doing it, and, you know, God bless those people who have the patience to buy something and then have the ability to, you know, put it on eBay or sell it. And it's just not a real <laughs> liquid market. So don't do it as an investment. Do it as a love. That would all be my only advice. Yeah. That's good yeah, advice. Good point. I wish I wish more people did it, especially the two guys that drive around every Walmart and Target and buy out all their uh, wax boxes <laughs> on, a, on a daily basis at the same time. John, uh, thanks for being on. I, I, and, sure. Thank you. And again, uh, Twitter, Pro Football Journal, your blogs, uh, nfljournal.blogspot.com and nflfunstuff.blogspot.com. Check it out. Uh, very enjoyable, very interesting, very historical. Uh, sincerely, thanks for preserving the game also because there's a lot of history you're, you're showing people probably for the first time that they've ever seen and yep. can pike the interest of people to get them to collect and or <laughs> study or read the uh about the game of football. So very good. Well thank, thank you, you for the thank you for the compliments. I don't know that I deserve them all but I appreciate them uh just the same. <laughs> well, John, you're doing you great. And, I I really I really enjoy your Twitter posts, your blog. I just really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show, man. Oh, anytime, thank anytime. You. you guys are great. All right, Thanks we're in our two-minute warning. Again, check out our website, gridirongreatsmagazine.com. If you're not a subscriber, what are you waiting for? Joe, we're down to a minute real quick. Hand it off to you. Pick up on tonight's show. Uh, unopened wax. Uh, people in the hobby with good senses of humor that are fun to follow. Uh, Tom Brady, who's, who, who, who's, who's the next million-dollar football card? A lot, of, a lot of things have to crazy. scratch my head in the hobby. Crazy. It's crazy. It, it's, uh, I, I enjoyed talking to John tonight for the simple reason that he put a lot of things in perspective, and I just loved hearing 
him saying, you know, he's got all those media guides, programs, magazines, yeah. and so on and so forth, books. Uh, it just reminds me so That's much of cool. me, and I always said to myself, yeah. I love the printed word of the game, but I don't like what I read today. I like what I, I read basically from roughly 2000 and back because that's, the to me, yeah. a lot of the real work. Today, there's really no sports journalism. I don't see it anywhere. Type of yep. All right, we're out of time. Yep. Check out our website again, gridirongreatsmagazine.com. Until next time, we'll be back in April with new shows. Thanks for listening. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.